Wolf and Dolly. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 555. It is me and Jason today, and we are going to take apart. Actually, that's not the right way to say that. We are going to use as a reference point a book called The Committee of 300, written by a man named Coleman. And I'll say up front, well, let me say this. We had two episodes that we had planned. One was going to be an update on dinosaurs. And Jason didn't feel like there was enough material that he could back it, knowing what I was going to say. So we've stepped back from that. As we got into the committee of 300, we had a similar issue with vetting. Now, I'll put it on the table. I consider everything in this book vetted. And while there are probably a handful or more of things that didn't go down or didn't go down as they're written, it's not nothing to do with bad intention bad information. It's just the way the world shook out. Now, Jason called me and said, I can't back this unless I can vet it. What we did is we tapped sources and I consider basically this entire book vetted. What would you add, Jason? So this is an interesting thing. There's lots of stuff out there on the internet that people have discussed regarding the Committee of 300 as far as I can tell, it all referenced back to Dr. John Coleman and his work. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and that's okay. I just couldn't find anything in that regard. So this is where Crow and I were at when we were discussing the background for all of this. So I have to take what Coleman was saying of where all this started and just how it all went down. Thankfully, I was able to find a little historical context that seems to be very well documented to at least back up how this may have gone down. Well, let's let's put it on the table without dropping names. All the stuff that would vet out a book like this is in the public sphere. The problem is you don't know who or how to look it up. There's no connective tissue. What I did is I tapped some sources and we got verbatim, as an example, a list of names that make up the inner circle at the top of what we're about to talk about. We got other names, which I handed to Jason, and Jason was then able to vet this out. But what we have been told from people who are way more informed about world affairs than I will ever be or ever care to be is that basically Coleman published this through kind of a lesser known publisher and basically went mostly into hiding for the rest of his life. It is assumed that he is likely still alive. If that is true, he's very old, probably what, Jason, upper 80s, early 90s, something like that. Almost certainly 90-ish. But one of the things about this book, for anyone who reads it, is there were a number of things laid down before the fact. So time has vetted them. In other words, Coleman said, this is going on, this is going to happen. And lo and behold, we lived far enough into the future to be able to look back and say, yep, he was right. And this is where the handful or more of things that aren't spot on crop up. But again, it's not from bad intention, bad information. It's just that the world shook out in a slightly different way. And in terms of the things we will cover about music, I consider it 100% vetted. As I have stated, I went out and I bought Theodore Adorno's essays and went at it in a totally different direction. I talked with people who knew some of these and know some of these people. So there it all is. 
Uh, I think that's about all we can say, Jason. We've done the best we can do to vet this. And I will say it again. I consider the bulk of this book vetted. So Dr. John Coleman appears to have worked for the Crown adjacent to spies in the MI6, but doesn't seem to have been an actual agent himself. Regardless, this seems to have given him the opportunity to be exposed to numerous circumstances that most would never be near. From these situations, he was able to examine numerous concealed documents and ask questions of many people that the general public would never be given the opportunity to do. He published 12 books exposing the New World Order, or the One World Government as he preferred it to be called, focusing specifically on the Committee of 300. In his book, Conspirator's Hierarchy, The Story of the Committee of 300, Dr. Coleman explains the methods and mechanisms used by the elite to control and socially engineer the global population. Dr. Coleman stated, There is no need to use they or the enemy except as shorthand. We know who they, the enemy, is. The Committee of 300, with its Eastern liberal establishment aristocracy, its banks, insurance companies, giant corporations, foundations, communications networks, presided over by our hierarchy of conspirators, this is the enemy. And that is a fact. What I'll say here is that even if we couldn't have vetted it to a level that I feel is acceptable, or Jason, because I rely a lot more on my intuition, and Jason relies a lot more on show me where I can track it back and prove it in some way beyond a single author. If there were numbers of things that weren't quite right, but the overarching implications were correct, what this does is it absolutely frames the world we're living in. If you go back to the Godzilla episode that we just did with George Mesa, Michael Hoffman actually grabbed an excerpt out of the description, which talks about what worldwide media is now. That's in the description to the episode. This is where we are. What we're about to outline shows the entirety of the systems that we reside within that create and further modern life. And it's all controlled and it is all dehumanizing. As a matter of fact, if I was going to so blatantly and bluntly label it in a very general way, it seeks to make or keep human beings at an animalistic level. It seeks to prevent human beings from being human beings, basically. The Committee of 300 is the ultimate secret society made up of an untouchable ruling class, which includes the Queen of England, the Queen of the Netherlands, the Queen of Denmark, and the royal families of Europe. These aristocrats decided at the death of Queen Victoria, the matriarch of the Venetian Black Gelfs, that in order to gain worldwide control, it would be necessary for its aristocratic members to go into business with the non-aristocratic but extremely powerful leaders of corporate business on a global scale. And so the doors to ultimate power were opened to what the Queen of England likes to refer to as the commoners. The sheeple, you know, those animals, the masses, they usually drop the M, the asses that they rule over. But from my point of view, this was always intended and it was always intended to be accomplished with what we call corporation. I have done a lot of research on how corporation came to be. One of the lines that I like to point to 
is the claim. And I can't go back or vet any better than I can. I wasn't there. It was quite a while ago, but this is the claim. There were a number of runs to get corporations going, and they kept getting turned down with this being said, no, absolutely not. How does this possibly benefit living men and women, human beings? And it kept going. They kept making runs. And eventually, they refashioned it to appear as a protection for Black people. Now, in this version of how we got corporations and in this claim, it was finally allowed that it would be corporations would come to be and they would protect Black people. But within this claim is that the first year it was allowed, there were more corporate corporations that we would recognize as we do today than there were supposedly protecting any minority. And I will remind everybody, words have names. Words have meaning. Words have an intention. They have a register of sound, a vibration level, all of which is known. And to simply ask, what is the meaning of this word, is to begin to know more about what you're looking at. Corp oration, or as I like to say, corpse oration, is a bit like the speaking dead because it is a body or called a body that is not alive, that is given the rights of a living person. So to put all that together, there's my shake. I don't know if you view it like I view it, Jason, but I view it as if the corporation's original intent was to do bad things. Well, it certainly seems that way. And by the way, we need to mention that almost all of what we're going to be reading here and discussing is coming right out of the book with uh, some extra context that I've added. So this is almost all Dr. John Coleman's words. So when you hear me using the first person, it's referring to Dr. Coleman. So we or I was given names that some of them were used for Jason to vet out. And I'm not dropping names. We will drop a few like the inner circle because they're individuals we've covered in the past, but it doesn't matter really who, who they are. What matters is what's been done and what's being done and what our immediate future could look like if there's success by this place. Certainly, a fair number of us are aware that the people running our government are not the people who are really in control of political and economic matters, domestic and foreign. This has led many to seek the truth in the alternative press, those newsletter writers who, like me, have sought but not always found what it is that is making the United States terminally ill. Seek and ye shall find has not always been the case with this group. What we did find was that the people walk in great darkness, mostly not caring or bothering to find out where their country is headed, firm in the belief that it will always be there for them. This is the way the largest population group has been manipulated to react and their attitude plays right into the hands of the secret government. And I'll make a case in point. How is it possible that all these decades with the smartest minds we have in this country, that long ago it was not shouted from the rooftops, election, what are you talking about election? There is no election for the highest offices in this country. We're being polled. Those so-called elections have no sway over who is chosen, who is seated. Things like the Electoral College at the highest level. This is a rigged game, and it's rigged in plain sight. 
how can it be that a rigging of this kind in such plain view has not been latched onto and run up through the highest ports of the land? And this should tell everybody something. Is it about spellcraft? Yeah, probably. Is it about control of systems where if it was brought into courts? Yeah, probably. I recently, within the last couple of days, saw a court case where people had learned that when you turn on your Bluetooth and your modern car gets it, the car company downloads all your information, all your texts. And they said, this is a violation of my rights and my privacy. They took it to court. And guess what? The court said, they're not breaking any laws just to make the point. Well, you should uh, read what's in those terms of services every now and then, and you might be a little concerned. Well, it's, it's kind of maddening because it is not legal and it is a violation of your rights. And where we have come and where we are now is those of us that can think full well knowing that to walk into a hospital, people have been given things that have made them sick, that have caused heart attacks, that have caused strokes, that have caused death. And this was systemic. And it was implemented in plain view and the force and the coercion that pushed it forward was all in plain view. And this is kind of like the apex, I would estimate, of what we're talking about and what is happening and what is very nearly about that brass ring is very nearly about to be grabbed if they can grab it. The upper level parallel secret government does not operate from dank basements and secret underground chambers. It places itself in full view in the White House, Congress, and in Number 10 Downing Street and the Houses of Parliament. It is akin to those weird and supposedly terrifying monster films where the monster appears with distorted features, long hair, and even longer teeth, growling and slavering all over the place. This is distraction. The real monsters wear business suits, and drive to work on Capitol Hill in limousines. These men are in open view. These men are the servants of the one world government, new world order. You know, it never ceases to amaze me the power of what social media is accomplishing right now. TikTok as an example, becoming the framework for how the younger generation thinks about things. And they're convinced that one of the Kardashians is a high-level witch and that this entertainer or that one is clearly a powerful Illuminati. And it's all quite laughable and it's all quite a distraction. Uh, what Jason just said is the fact. The enemy is corporation. The enemy is the power behind those corporations. And we'll get into it here. The Committee of 300 looks to social convulsions on a global scale, followed by depressions as a softening up technique for bigger things to come, as its principal method of creating masses of people all over the world who will become its welfare recipients of the future. The committee appears to base much of its important decisions affecting mankind on the philosophy of Polish aristocrat Felix Zerzinski, who regarded mankind as being slightly above the level of cattle. As a close friend of British intelligence agent Sidney Riley, Riley was actually Drzezinski's controller during the Bolshevik Revolution's formative years, he often confided in Riley during his drinking bouts. Drzezinski was, of course, the beast who ran the Red Terror apparatus. 
He once told Riley, while the two men were on a drinking binge, that, quote, man is of no importance. Look at what happens when you starve him. He begins to eat his dead companions to stay alive. Man is only interested in his own survival. That is all that counts. All the Spinoza stuff is a lot of rubbish. And by the way, that last line is a reference to the 17th century Spanish philosopher Baruch Spinoza, whose most famous and provocative idea is that God is not the creator of the world, but that the world is part of God. This is often identified as pantheism, the doctrine that God and the world are the same thing, which conflicts with both Jewish and Christian teachings. Let me be blunt. To hear words like this and an attitude that this is self-importance. So you're going to say that mankind is slightly above cattle. Well, you're dude saying this, you're mankind. Man is of no importance. Well, dude saying this, you're of no importance, if that is true. And you begin to see the self-centered, self-aggrandizing attitude. And nature tells us whether there's any veracity to these types of claims. And while you could claim that currently uh, mankind's level is very animalistic because of what's been done and what is being done, what you cannot say is that something is true that is not proven through nature, through the system that is immutable that we live within. And within that system, we comprehend that there is a place here that we call the world or the creation or nature, whatever you want to call it, that got here somehow. And not only did it get here somehow, it has always provided everything we have ever needed. And not only that, here's where you unmask the devilry that is corporation and business and money. When I go outside and I need light and heat, and such, I look up to see the light of this world freely, I repeat, freely providing these things that were put here to provide everything we need to exist. There is no coin slot. There is no debit card. It is given freely. And this is the lesson and the truth that nature shows us. But when we reflect it back on the corporate world, that we currently reside under, then the villain is unmasked. Zbigniew Brzezinski, said to be speaking for the Committee of 300, said that the United States was moving, quote, into an era unlike any of its predecessors. We were moving toward a technotronic era that could easily become a dictatorship. Brzezinski went on to say that our society, quote, is now in an information revolution based on amusement focus, Spectator spectacles, saturation coverage by television of sporting events, which provide an opiate for an increasingly purposeless mess. Was Brzezinski another seer and a prophet? Could he see into the future? The answer is no. What he wrote in his book was simply copied from the Committee of 300's blueprint given to the Club of Rome for execution. In addition to religion, the opiate of the masses, which Lenin and Marx acknowledged was needed, we now have the opiates of mass spectator sport, unbridled sexual lusts, rock music, and a whole new generation of drug addicts. Mindless sex and an epidemic of drug usage was created to distract people from what is happening all around them. 
In the Technotronic Era, Brzezinski talks about the masses as if people are some inanimate object, which is possibly how we are viewed by the Committee of 300. He continually refers to the necessity of controlling us, quote, masses. Let's make a couple points here, because what was said here is among the most important things. I live in a country where there is no culture other than what entertainment has made. The culture that I have grown up in is primarily based on television, music, movies, news, and the like. And these things are all controlled. But here's the problem. While we can say that we deserve what we got, because you can't deny what's been said here is true for the vast majority of the world population, I would make a point. Statistics are what statistics are. It's a bit like math where there's no argument. My point is this. If I laid down a plan, which was statistically calculated to have a 98 or a 99% chance of working, then did we get what we deserved or were we trapped by a system that statistically was proven to have a 98 or 99% chance of working? And this is one of the problems that I bump into all the time where what's happened is the fault of all these fat idiots, these lazy Americans, these, you know, any country that I want to be derisively labeled. And it's not true. Do we bear responsibility? Hell, yes, we do, particularly now where we're starting to be able to see and we have people that are showing us what we might not have been able to put together on our own or work out on our own dime. But when you walk into a forest with bear traps everywhere that are beyond the ability of a human being to detect and that human being gets trapped, whose fault is it? Even if there was a sign at the front of those woods saying it's possible there are traps. What I'm pointing out here is, yeah, we bear a huge responsibility and every day that goes by, but the trap that was laid, if I could turn the table and take everyone in these boardrooms and put them out in the general public situation, they would have been trapped too. Because statistically, it was demonstrated that 98 or 99% this was going to work. At one point, Dr. Coleman says that Brzezinski had let the cat out of the bag. Quote, at the same time, the capacity to assert social and political control over the individual will vastly increase. It will soon be possible to assert almost continuous control over every citizen and to maintain up-to-date files containing even the most personal details about health and personal behavior of every citizen in addition to the more customary data. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities. Power will gravitate into the hands of those who control information. Our existing institutions will be supplanted by pre-crisis management institutions, the task of which will be to identify in advance likely social crises and to develop programs to cope with them. This will encourage tendencies through the next several decades toward a technotronic era, a dictatorship, leaving even less room for political procedures as we know them. Finally, looking ahead to the end of the century, the possibility 
of biochemical mind control and genetic tinkering with man, including beings which will function like men and reason like them as well, could give rise to some difficult questions. Now, let me point something out here. Coleman's book came out in 91, but he was quoting from Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was speaking of things decades earlier than that. So how long have they been figuring things out for how things are looking today? Well, we know certainly over a century, but I think it could be taken further into the rears. But how do you prove it? I don't know how you prove it. Uh, But I can demonstrate through the things that I have seen over the last roughly 100 years, the vestiges of the social engineering that is so prominent in the entertainment, which is the foundation of modern life in this world. And how is it that all of us who understand what cell phones, smartphones are doing, still push out of our minds the truth and the seriousness of what they're being used for and continue to use them. And what's worse, how about those generations that never knew a time before a cell phone was the way of things? I'll make a prediction based on what I have learned from nature which I accept as wholly correct and wholly true, where there is no lie. In the long run, we're going to go into a world that is amazing beyond our wildest dreams. In the short run, the change is going to be hell-bent, and it's going to burn away and shake out everything that stands in the way of the evolution of the so-called human species. That's what I accept as probably correct. But again. Everybody is starting to be aware of what social media was created for. I've been talking about it for, I don't know, it's been, Jason, a decade maybe. I've been harping on cell phones. To this day, people are constantly upset with me uh, because the only thing that I will do with my phone is text someone or communicate with someone. That's it. Other than that, uh, nothing else. And much of the time, my phone is off. At a certain time of night, it's always off. And yet, even at that low level of use, I know that I am guilty of taking part in what's happening. I don't know what to add, Jason, but this paragraph that you just read, if you go back and listen carefully, this is true. This is where we are. And the men who you referenced have been talking about this for longer than I've been alive. And I'm going to be 60 this year. So this ties back to the last episode we did on the computer hacking thing. When you see the kind of systems that they had decades ago, they knew what the computers that were coming out, what they'd be able to do with them and all of the data processing to be able to keep track of people and do what they're doing now. And of course, insiders knew where things were going before they were on the market. And think of the old standby that everybody knows is correct. Uh, What we get to use and what we see is 50, maybe 75 years behind what is possible. The first time this really sunk home must have been, matter of fact, I know it was because that was the year that I was fired because of 9-11 and everyone around me was fired because of 9-11. So it was the end of 2000. There was an air show. and. While we had become aware that there was this thing called a stealth fighter, and we probably even seen pictures at the air show, it was the first time I ever saw it with my eyes right there. 
And everything changed in that minute because all of a sudden I realized, holy crap, that's where we're at. And this is what they're allowing us to see. Now, if we roll this over to the technology, you tell me how someone like Frank Herbert could write about the Butlerian Jihad, because we have to do that. We either have to be slaved out to technology for some period of time, or we have to do something akin to the Butlerian Jihad. I don't see as there's any alternative unless it is possible to take control of the data-driven world away from those who mean harm. Brzezinski's book explains how America must leave its industrial base behind and enter into what he called a distinct new historical era. Quote, What makes America unique is its willingness to experience the future, be it pop art or LSD. Today, America is the creative society. The others, consciously or unconsciously, are emulative. What he should have said was that America is the proving ground for Committee of 300 policies, which lead directly to a dissolution of the old order and an entry into the one world government, new world order. One of the chapters in the Technotronic Era explains how new technology will bring in its wake intense confrontation that will strain social and international peace. Uh, that's a polite way of saying that the new world order will have finite control of every individual everywhere. And what's ironic about this is the people that will be free or the most free are those people living in the middle of nowhere, taking care of themselves, probably around a campfire, hunting for their own food. But even that becomes a problem under the idea of the new world order because every inch of land is claimed or supposedly owned by someone somewhere. So you can see where we're going, but how is it that a very, what we would consider a low level society, living, hunting, gathering, campfire, you know, living in some kind of a teepee or a cave or something like that would be the freest under the system that is emerging. The Committee of 300 has planted its agents in the muscle and sinew of the United States, in its government, in Congress, in advisory posts around the president, as ambassadors, and as secretaries of state. From time to time, the Club of Rome holds gatherings and conferences which, although they appear under innocuous titles, break up into action committees each of which is assigned a specific task and a specific target date by which time their assignments must be completed. If it does nothing else, the Committee of 300 is working to a very specific timetable. And this is what we always hear about the elite, isn't it? That they've been at this a very long time and they're playing the long game. It's crazy because we're, we're kind of at crescendo levels right now. It's not arbitrary. Like you consider a normal boardroom. Okay, we've got this issue to deal with. Let's get some ideas on the table. And how, you know, Joe, uh, Karen, how long do you think it'll take us? Well, we're not sure. And, you know, then it goes out into the world and it takes as long as it takes. This is something completely different. This is very well delineated the outcomes expected in the 90-some percentile, the way it will be pulled off, the tools that they are using 
having been used many times before. What about the other night, Jason, the conversation we we had about what killed rock and roll? You know, I've thought about this for a long, long time. And it wasn't till I went back to Coleman's book because Jason was writing the notes for this. So I went back to reread and, and get back up to date. It's simple. They pulled the press. They pulled the media coverage and it ceased to exist, basically almost ceased to exist in the way things presently work. And most people will hear this and say, you're out of your cotton pick in mind, but that's exactly what a major part of what did it. All of a sudden, the media focused on rap, hip hop, other things, and basically pulled the oxygen out of the room for this thing that was supposedly never going to die rock and roll, which basically was the driving soundtrack a short decade or two prior. That was the soundtrack of the world, the money that was made from it. It's insane when you begin to think about how easy it must be for people with this much power to simply shift the narrative. Well, this is what we always talk about. And it's the whole thing with the decades. And each decade seems to kind of have its own thing. And it's very, very obvious when you look at music going from the 80s to the 90s. The hairspray thing was over. So the media no longer focused on the hairspray bands. Now they're going to focus on grunge and then immediately afterwards, rap. This is the importance of the individual because I maintain that a big part of what it means to be a man or a woman is we live by example. A lot of people will say, oh, Crow's talking about the nature versus nurture. Well, in a way I am, but what I'm pointing out that we do learn by example and examples are powerful. When I was young and I wanted to learn some rock and roll riff, the music had not been written. Tablature had not yet been made available to the public. We had to sit there and figure it out. Well, it's a very different world now. I can go on YouTube and find any lick any song, any arrangement from any music that I would like. And what do I get? I get the example. Someone says, here's how you do it. The power of the example is underestimated and undervalued. And so when we think about movies, we think about music, we think about the news, media in general, all these examples that surround us. And in a world where you can show up at some kid's soccer game now where there might be 30 or 40 adults. How many times have you looked around to see 30 or 40 adults stuck in their phone? The example from nature, the example from society, the example from interaction with other human beings has been supplanted. Their faces are stuck in a media device. Dr. Coleman said in 1981 that we are set up politically, socially, and economically, so that we remain locked into the Club of Rome's plans. Everything is rigged against us. If we are to survive, then we must break the stranglehold the Committee of 300 has on our government. In every election since Calvin Coolidge ran for the White House, the Committee of 300 has been able to plant its agents in key positions in government so that it matters not who gets the White House post. For example, every one of the candidates who ran for the presidency from the time of Franklin D. Roosevelt were selected. Some like to call it hand-picked, 
by the Council on Foreign Relations acting on the instructions of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. I remember the first time I ever heard the name Obama. It was in some offhand news. It was 1999, and there was this up-and-coming, promising senator that could make a bid for the White House someday. First time I ever heard the name. That's what it was. And it, it goes to show you. And he, he's sitting here hedging. We're selected. Some might call it handpicked. No, call it what it is. Yeah, selected by people who are not voters, who are completely independent of the sham that is voting. Handpicked. It is what it is. And just like the rise and fall of rock music, we saw the rise of Barack Obama, who came from a very small position, all things considered, since he made a jump from that to the presidency. How did they do it? The media, of course. Back up a little bit. Most people are probably not old enough to have a good view of President Jimmy Carter. He was viewed as a weenie, a weakling, couldn't get anything done right. There was the whole hostage thing going on, and he couldn't even get the hostages out. If I remember correctly, he supposedly crashed the rescue guys' helicopters and killed the rescue team, or I forget. It was a debacle. But what happened in the public eye was this strong guy, wasn't even president yet. By the way, everybody knew he was an actor. So now it's just perfectly fine to take a freaking Hollywood actor and put him in the supposed highest position of this country called president. And this strong new guy is so strong that guess what? They didn't even wait for him to get into office. They released all the hostages because they were scared to death of who? Not Ronald Reagan, because at that time he was called something else. He was called Ronbo. Well, what's Ronbo? Where's that come from? At the time, the most popular movie franchise in the country was Rambo. And these t-shirts came out with Ronald Reagan's head on Johnny Rambo's body with an M60 in his hand. Do you see? Do you see? Rambo is a fictitious movie. Reagan was an actor who made fictitious movies. They were melded together to put a guy in the top spot. And what was driving it? The perception and the media. And don't forget the movies, because there is no separation. Profiling is a technique developed in 1922 on command of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the RIIA. Major John Rawlings Reese, a British Army technician, was instructed to set up the largest brainwashing facility in the world at the Tavistock Institute for Human Relations as a part of Sussex University. This became the core of Britain's psychological warfare borough. When Dr. Coleman first introduced the names of Reese and Tavistock into the United States in 1970, very little interest was shown. But over the years, as he revealed more and more about Tavistock and its role in the conspiracy, it has become popular to imitate his earlier research. So let me get this straight. The premier social engineering institute is tied to university. And this has to do with the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Well, do words have meaning? What's in a word? What's in an abbreviation? Let's take a look. R 
I, I. Looks like you got a little 911 there. R is 18, 1 and 8 is 9. You got the two upright towers right after it. A is 1. Uh, it's the same game. And we're talking basically about brainwashing. Was instructed to set up by the British Army. A British Army technician was instructed to set up the largest brainwashing facility in the world. So there must have been a predecessor, right? because they already know it's a thing. They're not saying, let's go invent brainwashing. They're, they're saying, let's take brainwashing and make the largest facility. Anyone who wanted to waste their time to go down the rabbit hole would get back to the Frankfurt School and start to see just how long this has been going on and just who is involved. The inner circles, inner around royalty, the lords, the ladies, you know, it, it's the same story over and over. What would you add about Britain's Psychological Warfare Bureau, Jason? Well, I'm about to get into that. And Tavistock likes to paint itself as like this not-for-profit, helpful organization. And this next point is right from their website, the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. Considering the alive, beautifully complex nature of humans and their relations, we attract people who thrive in a questioning atmosphere, people who embrace both the evidential and soulful. Our story. In our earliest history, just over a centenary ago, a group of medical professionals who called themselves the Tavistock Group worked with the British Army to help soldiers who had been prisoners during World War II return to civilian life and, equally as importantly, to help their families and communities adjust to having them back. From returning soldiers to rapid changes in business management, workplace demographics, and the adoption or rejection of new technologies throughout the 20th century to the global social challenges of the 21st century, we pour ourselves into organizations needing change, individuals needing change, systems needing change. And sometimes the change needed is to accept change isn't needed. What arises from the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations isn't abstract. It's applicable study making a difference in all of our lives. Now, if you're capable of reading between the lines, they just admitted it all to you. It's unconscionable. It is creepy. And it is basically criminal thinking. Organizations needing change. Individuals needing change. Systems needing change. And sometimes the change needed is to accept change isn't needed. I mean, who writes this kind of crap? Do you remember the cover? For other people who would like to know more about Tavistock, one of the best pieces of writing that I've seen was from Daniel Esteland. I think the book's name is Tavistock, or it has it in the title. Right on the cover, Jason, do you remember the coat of arms? It has a sheep hanging from a steel belt wrapped around its waist, hanging from a chain. I forget. I looked up at the time. I think it's some kind of a uh, a device like from a coat of arms, but it, it's unreal what gets done in public. And if I'm not mistaken, Jason, uh, isn't Tavistock or wasn't it at one time right around the corner from the famous Abbey, Beatles Abbey Road snapshot? pretty sure. 
That's a good question. I'm not actually sure where it is physically located, although it is in London. Pretty sure that if I remember from the way, way back, like seven years ago research, that the Abbey Road snapshot is a hop, skip and a jump away from Tavistock or where it was at that point, I guess. One of the most important areas of cooperation between what think tanks turn out and what becomes government and public policy are the pollsters. It is the job of the polling companies to mold and shape public opinion in the way that suits the conspirators. Polls are constantly being taken by CBS, NBC, ABC, The New York Times, The Washington Post. Most of these efforts are coordinated at the National Opinion Research Center, where, as much as it will amaze most of us, a psychological profile was developed for the entire nation. Findings are fed into the computers of Gallup Poll and Yankelovich, Skelly, and White for comparative evaluation. Much of what we read in our newspapers or see on television has first been cleared by the polling companies. What we see is what the pollsters think we should see. This is called public opinion making. The whole idea behind this bit of social conditioning is to find out how responsive the public is to policy directives handed down by the Committee of 300. We are called targeted population groups, and what is measured by the pollsters is how much resistance is generated to what appears in the nightly news. It is all part of the elaborate opinion-making process created at Tavistock. Scientists engaged in the process of conditioning are called social engineers or new science social scientists, and they play an integral part in what we see, hear, and read. Integral part. A permanently fixed part. Do you remember, Jason, when we had the insider come and talk about an inside look at press releases and polling. Do you recall? Yes, I do. I knew you'd remember. So you remember when we did that and we had the insider's view and some of the things that came out at that time in the research and from the person who worked in these places was that a poll of any size could be thought of, produced, and turned around in less than a day. And the outcome was anything you wanted it to be. And one of the examples, if I remember correctly, was even something so simple as what I'm about to explain has a powerful effect on how opinions are shaped and skewed. Even hearing the words, 80% of all Republicans think this, well, if you've already identified yourself as a Republican, even if you didn't agree with what you've been told 80% of people agree with, they know in advance that very few people will ever push against it, and the vast majority will simply become of the imaginary 80%. Is there anything you'd add about it? We did have the inside view. I should look up the, uh, maybe if Rose is listening, she can look up the episode where I think it was NPR. No, it wasn't NPR. She'll know. It was PR Newswire there and it is. Business PR Wire Newswire. were the two main companies, but there are there are others, who most of the mainstream organizations that deal in quote-unquote news get their information from or get their their releases from, I should say. This is how in the modern era, because everything's digital now, it's so easy for them to control. And I'm sure you've seen the video compilations that people have put together of news clips where they're saying the same exact thing 
but it's just a local news station, so it's got the local flavor. Well, that's why they are reading the exact same thing coming down from these companies. This is, we, I've done breakdowns. I don't remember the episodes, but the uh, press releases are a story within themselves. The video packaged press releases. And this started going on way back, but became very normalized by the end of the 90s. By the way, the guest that we were talking about used the pseudonym Tom. It was episode, oh, that's perfect, 116. Um, that's a Marty McFly version of the 9-11 idea, but it was episode 116. But to get back to the pre-packaged news releases, what it basically does is someone somewhere creates the idea that they want put out in the news release. It is fed out through uh, PR Newswire and all these other places to all news agencies. Then they edit it together. Many of the times what you'll see is the local news anchor that you know introducing the clips. And what happens is it gives the appearance that that person did the investigation, did the reporting. But what's actually happened is they simply put a face in the front of a prepackaged video snippet. And that has worked a dream to shape public opinion for so long. So that brings us to the top of hour one. And in hour two, we're going to show where it seems that the Committee of 300 would have come from based off of the information that others have given us, as well as continue on with the breakdown with Dr. Coleman. As far as I'm concerned, this is vetted information. When I tapped people, I was given spot-on names. I mean, spot-on, the the history around it. One of the problems that Jason faced has to do with the East India Company. Do you want to just quickly lay down what your issue, what you bumped into trying to vet with regard to the East India Company? Well, it wasn't just the East India Company. It was all of this information. There's tons of stuff out there if you go looking about the Committee of 300, but all of it leads back to Dr. Coleman's work, which makes it very difficult if there's only a single source to say that this is where it comes from. Take my word for it. So I went digging into the historical records, and once we got our bit of information from those that we have contact with, that's when it kind of all connected and said, okay, this makes sense. Right. The problem is I want to know where Coleman, you know, how can I vet Coleman's information, but you, you can't really get there. But then when you have a source that says, oh, look up this name, and they give you the backstory verbatim off the top of your head, and the research you then do on the name lines up perfectly, you realize the veracity of what's going on. Among the things that Coleman included in his book, for the average person listening, one of the most important parts, and what is it, Jason? I think it's less than about five or six pages uh, to do with music and the Beatles. Uh, I think the core of it is maybe five or six pages, but it tells you without pulling punches who did it, why it was done, and the effect it would have. And we can all look backwards to know damn well it worked a dream. I mean, it worked probably better than their wildest dreams. And for those people who love the Beatles, how do you possibly face the fact that not only didn't they write their own music, that not only Uh, at least one of them for sure was swapped in front of your face, that the whole reason they were put there was to subjugate what it means to be a living man or a woman and to lower populations, countries' populations into an almost animalistic state 
And this is one of the tools that did it. How do you face that? Do you continue to love the Beatles music? It's your choice. You can do that. And to be fair, if you're a person who just wants to lead a happy life, I can't fault you because from my point of view, the creator gave you free will. That's your option. But for those people who look at it and have to come to terms with those realities, then the insidious nature of what's been done starts to kind of drift to the surface. Anyhow, Jason, I'm going to wrap up hour one if you don't have anything more to add. No, we're there. So let's march on to hour two. All right. It's probably going to be more than an hour, an hour two. We've got a lot of ground to cover and we're not artificially limiting hour twos any anymore now that we're delivering one episode a week on Wednesday. Anyhow, there is hour one of episode 555. The first free hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two or two plus hours, and they get access to all of the forums. They can create forums. They get access to all the comments, and they get free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon that covers all my telescopic work. And some of that, like the double sun idea, is probably going to matter in the long run, but I'm just guessing. But with that, we're going to wrap up, take a short break, and come back and lay down hour two. I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. That higher-minded part, critically important, where we're about to be in a minute, a very short minute. We've kind of got our toes on the threshold. I hope to see you all logged in as members. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.